Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all, and welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast where we are on a metabolic mission to help you achieve vitality and reverse chronic lifestyle conditions using our three things, real whole foods, straight talk, and the pleasures of the table. I hope that this new year has started off wonderfully for you. I am wishing everyone a nourished mindset, hoping that we can leave diet restriction culture in the past and put on a new pair of lenses looking at food through the lens of nourishment. Today I have a wonderful guest so we are just going to get right into it but I do want to take a moment also to thank all listeners, viewers so much for your support in 2023. In January a year ago I published the nourishment mindset and the sales and the support have exceeded my highest expectations. So I just want to take a moment of gratitude to say thank you so much for purchasing the book, reviewing the book, sharing it with friends, recommending it to others. My sincere hope is that we can keep spreading this word, spreading the idea of this concept of the nourishment mindset so that we can get off of that dieter's tightrope where one false move and you come crashing down to earth and you're bad, whereas you were good when you were on that tightrope. And just again, see food and nourishment through a new lens. It's what is this giving to my body? How am I making decisions that support vitality? So thank you again. Let's get into it. And I'm wishing you a very nourished 2024. Today's guest is a farmer, husband, dad, and mental health counselor. Welcome, Michael Sisley. Thank you, Dixie. So you're you're in North Carolina, right? My old stomping grounds. That's right. Excellent. Whereabouts? Eastern Carolina. Uh, my office is maybe five, 10 minutes from ECU, East Carolina University. Uh, so Pitt County. All right. And that's from a Pitt grad, right? Pitt, yeah. grad, Pitt County. Hey. That's right. <laughs> I read your bio. <laughs> so I have mentioned you before on the Nourishment Mindset because you gave me an awesome Amazon review for the book. So thank you again for that. That is most appreciated, especially from someone with your background, helping people um, deal with emotional and mental distress. So I just want to take that opportunity. Um, and then we met when you emailed me about sunflower lecithin. I'm like, that is the most specific question any listener has ever asked. This is an emulsifier mm. that is not good for the, uh, the bod folks. So this led to a video call where the whole time I wished that we were doing a podcast and you graciously said, well, yeah, let's do it again. So I would like to start probably where folks 
are not going to think I'm going. They're going to think I'm going right into mental health because it's so important. But we got to talk about Nigerian dwarf goats, dude. This is my favorite animal outside of the Newfoundland. So why and how do you have these, these fabulous creatures? Okay, I'm really good at making a short story long. Excellent. And this one isn't even a short story to begin with, but my wife grew up with animals. I, as a teenager, we had a cocker spaniel. Um, so not so much for me, but she grew up with animals. We've had chickens in most of our marriage. And uh, we'd looked at possibly a Jersey cow for the milk. And she had come across goats, I think originally thinking like it would help with the weeds and so forth. We have about nine acres and uh, she thought, oh, they, maybe they can help with, uh, you know, in the pasture, so forth. Nigerian dwarfs aren't that great for that. Uh, they're very particular. And uh, but she came across Nigerian dwarfs. They're like as Holstein is to Jersey in terms of the quality and richness of the milk, you go from Jersey to Nigerian dwarf. Um, they produce some really rich, delicious milk. So she is a little convincing. I think remember the first time sitting down at the table talking about it. So kind of like going to your, the end of your typical podcasts, what we do at the dinner table. Um, she brought up goats and my initial reaction was like, I want to listen, but like, gosh, we have so much going on already. What you want to do what? And, um, but exposed me to, uh, these, this family with one acre, they do a, they have a YouTube channel, Weedem and Reap. And we were watching that as a family. Cause it was like this family of four lives in suburban Phoenix, Weedem and Reap. Love it little play on words, little family farm with one acre. And they've got, they've got goats, chickens, they've had pigs, but they had Nigerian dwarfs. And I was like, huh, okay. Warming up to the idea. Then by the end of uh, August of 21, we had our first dose. And now we're, we just added to the herd Monday. Yes. Congratulations. So there will be a, well, you said there will be more goats offline uh, coming springtime. Yeah, they're all three does are are bred does. I'm gluten free, but you know, <laughs> I, she talked me into it. Dad jokes, right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll. So we not only just expanded our herd with the three does we brought on, but also with what they're bringing on this spring. All right. That is so exciting. And um, I wanted to ask you because people send me things because they know I like goats and uh, heirloom chickens. And I received something from Instagram of these Nigerian dwarf goats like sitting by this sign that said Christmas tree recycling. And then you see this guy like dump the Christmas tree in and they, it was unbelievable to watch how they just attack this tree. So is that true or is that just Instagram silliness? It was interesting you bring that up because Dixie, like it was, it must've been two weeks ago, even that uh, my wife told me she had connections with some of the County folks that work in ag. And uh, she said that there's a place just down the road from my office that 
they had a place set up and they're like, you know, just go by there and tell them you're, you're picking up some trees for your goats. It's like, what if I really actually wanted it for a decoration? I had $1,500 based on the price tag. I think $1,500 worth of fir trees in the back of my truck. And yeah, that's literally what I did. I drove the truck. Thankfully it was dry enough that day. It's wet where you are. It's wet where I am right now. I wouldn't do it today. Drove the track truck out to the field, tossed them a few, tossed a few in the, the chicken pen. Cause we got a couple of goats in there right now too. And uh, yeah, initially they went right to town on it. They a little bit disappointing uh, after about a week. It was like, huh, I thought they would have had that cleaned off, but yeah. That's what we were, it's we, true. yeah, they were enjoying it. They'll eat the bark off of a pine branch. Amazing. At it's least ours. Creature. So here's a question for you. Super nerd. This is like my wine geek. <laughs> um, you mentioned their delicious milk. Do you uh, get notes of fir tree after they consume a Christmas tree? <laughs> oh, this uh, tastes like a particular holiday vintage. Now, yeah. uh, Nothing like that. I have heard like cows that eat onion grass that can affect the flavor of the milk. Um, I I haven't personally noticed that. All right. So Excellent. and so I'm assuming y'all are drinking what I call real milk. Some call raw milk uh, in your family. That's correct. Yeah, and uh, we do make uh, kefir or kefir with it on occasion or yogurt. But my wife's done a few different kinds of cheeses with it. Oh, and yeah. Wow. Is she a North Carolina girl? She born and raised in Eastern oh. North Carolina. Oh, she just sounds great. Oh, she she's awesome. Caroline. Yeah. Caroline. Um, so Shay Sisley, you are literally surrounded by females. You've got your wife, your three daughters, the does <laughs> more coming. How do you survive in this pool of estrogen? Uh, well, last couple of days I've been enjoying getting out, getting the heart going with a splitting wood. Oh yeah. And, uh, so feel real manly doing that or whatever, but honestly, my wife, she, uh, she does a bit with, she's constructed, uh, our chicken coop, constructed a goat house, um, worked together on, a redoing our shed, the roof needed redone. And then I was like, hey, well, how about the siding too? Um, she's, she's pretty good with, uh, carpentry as it were, taught our girls some stuff with that. Now my daughters will help me with loading up, tossing wood into the fireplace and this sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I just, I've learned to just do whatever it is I enjoy doing and involve them in with it if they're interested. And, uh, so nothing too masculine, I guess. I, I mean, I like to get messy with uh oil changes or tinkering around if something's not working with the mower or the sort of thing so i guess i get my hands greasy that way and get the testosterone fix or whatever but yeah it's not it's really quite enjoyable i'm not surrounded by so much pink as it were right but you got hands yeah things aren't <laughs> things are not favorable for the males on our property uh any male goats it looks like for the foreseeable future will be a weather okay. which is like a, a stallion becomes a gelding uh 
a bull becomes a steer, et cetera. Our, our dog, male dog, male cat, fixed, fixed. I'm like, yeah, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you seem pretty laid back and they seem um, quite handy and uh, impressive. Real women, country women. I love it. Um, so I am curious, we've got to get to the mental health counseling. I studied psychology in undergrad and thought I wanted to do what you are doing. And then I'm just going to be honest. I did an internship at Butner Mental Hospital in North Carolina and ran screaming. It was like, I can't do this. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the empathy. I'm going to be honest. Like I, I cannot do this. So I have such a high regard for people who can sit with others and help them work through the tough things and find stress reduction techniques, paths forward. I have been in therapy a few different times in my life. So I'm just, I'm wondering how you heard your calling or if this is in your family or what brought you to, to this helping profession. Okay. Um, story told is that when I was really young, I think like three or four, a tornado hit a nearby town and I only heard about the mur murmurs about the devastation and wouldn't go outside unless it was sunny afterwards. My parents didn't make the connection and I ended up going into therapy at some point as like a three or four year old. I don't recall this. I recall the tornado thing um, vaguely. So maybe there's an echo of that, but I mean, originally I was thinking med school. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a psychology degree, but I also took the two semesters of gen chem, o chem, physics, calculus. I don't know a lot of folks that get into mental health that are like, let me take calc one and calc two, uh, the biochem, uh, genetics, lo lots of fun stuff, but, um, and, and, you know, I think it's been 16 years since Brody School of Medicine sent me a waitlist letter. I don't know when they're getting around to calling me, but um, <laughs> maybe hold your breath. <laughs> but uh, you know, with a psychology degree, there's things that fascinated me with with psychology, and I got more and more into that. And I was like, well, major in psychology, do all the pre med requisites, um, and started working in the mental health field, and then continued and finally went back and was like, let me go to grad school and get my master's and then drug my feet a little more before getting licensed as a therapist. Um, but really enjoyed it. Um, you know, uh, mental health, I guess, some family, various, uh, like, not necessarily parents, but family members, cousins, I've, I've heard things that they've dealt with. Um, so I don't know if that played a part and likewise hearing about what I apparently dealt with when I was a wee lad um if that influenced it in part too but um yeah just kind of fit and especially doing a private practice this has been really enjoyable um when I first finished grad school, I was working as a counselor with the state with the vocational rehabilitation. So it was all related to work directly or indirectly. Things were related to work, which I really enjoyed because I'd worked for, for a number of mental health agencies where 
it'd be thriving one day and the next day it was like work there for three weeks emergency meeting uh we lost our contract with the state uh, like my my resume there for a few years it looked like was he job hopping no that business doesn't exist anymore um yeah so wow yeah uh, or some nefarious activity going on um with the business owner whatever that they lost the contract so yeah after dealing with that i was like this state employment sounds comfortable and then i got a little comfortable for a little while and then it's like had an intern that kind of kicked my butt into getting my license really and, uh, yeah yeah and then i then i got another intern that i've been working on working with her for a few years telling her like when are you going to get your license when are you going to get your license so but yeah i i i love getting to talk with people hear their stories help them help them to be equipped to deal with whatever it is they're dealing with and do you have a specialization in terms of the types of um, patients that you work with, or is it more of a general mental health practice? More general. Um, I do like helping folks. I look at things in light of relationships, Okay. like particularly relationship with self, first and foremost, um, for folks that come in here, generally, um, being in the Bible Belt as you're, you've lived in North Carolina. Um, some folks said it's their relationship with God, mm. um, misconceptions, misinterpretations. Um, so, but I look at things a lot in terms of relationships. Part of the reason I, I really liked your book and your approach to things, your relationship with nourishment and food. Um, but yeah, that's a, uh, and then couples too, working with couples. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got some experience being in a relationship and learning things, not always the the smooth way as it were, but sometimes coming to stark realizations and like, ooh, man, that's a lesson learned. Uh, maybe I can help some other folks with that. Right. Um, emotional connection and so forth. Uh, yeah. Do you find that, do you see any difference, I guess, between pre and post COVID patients? Is it, is it more, is, is there anything or am I just making stuff up? Cause you hear about all of the fallout of lockdowns and school closures. And, and so I just wonder, and, and you also hear that, you know, your profession, there's these long wait lists and you know, that it's really hard to get in. So what are you seeing? Oh yeah, that uh, summer of 2020, it was like, I I was filled to capacity and even took down a, I had a psychology today profile and was like, even though it says on there twice, not taking any new clients at this time or whatever, I still had got this long email and it like just, just tore at my heart to like this person was going into their story and I'm like, I can't even figure out how to work with folks I've been working with for a while now at the capacity I'd like to. I, I just, it was hard. Um, and I, I think that's, I'd say over the last year, there's, we've caught up. I feel like for the most part, at least in this area, it doesn't seem like it's so 
such a long wait. Um, but yeah, I, I think that isolation did a lot. The, the fear mm. did a lot of damage. Um, and incidentally, one of the things that I read that was helpful in my marriage relationship talked about, uh, emotional connection. I mean, that's the, to me, like the book was about it, uh, hold me tight by Dr. Sue Johnson. Yes. Um, boy, oh boy, help me become aware of like, golly, I'm a master avoider. Um, so worked on that a bit with myself, but she talks about things as far as that need for a connection and Brene Brown talks about it. Uh, lots of other folks in, you know, the counseling field and talk about the need for human connection. And it was like, wow, we really did a disservice and especially hospital systems. Like I know like there's the, on one hand, not wanting to introduce sickness and so forth. But that was one thing I read in a Sue Johnson's book, 2008, where she talks about, you know, kind of this history of attachment theory and how it was, in, I think in the mid 1900s, they recognized for children in the hospital, it was really helpful to have a parent or parents be able to stay in the hospital because it helped them to recover more quickly. Like, and I don't think that just applies to children. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. But loneliness though. Oh man. Phew loneliness the effects of loneliness um that's that i think was a huge was a huge issue with covid and or the pandemic and i think lingering there's some of those things that linger i, I would say still right yeah nasty just i mean like there's the physical health aspect of it but then the yeah the effects on people's mental well-being and metabolism right Absolutely. You're on a metabolic mission. I mean, sleep, social connection, these things that we might not think of when it comes to metabolism. Boy, oh boy. Yep. I heard myself explaining this to um, someone this week with whom I'm working and I said, you know, here's the thing about your sleep. For example, if you have a poor night's sleep, your glucose is upregulated, which means your insulin is upregulated. And if you don't get good sleep, we often are stressed out. So now the cortisol is elevated. And so it's all this like snowball effect. And so here you have these, you know, dampening effects on metabolic health. That's just one night of sleep can increase your glucose by about 20 points. So think of the, you know, I know I, during the, especially in the beginning where it was just all fear and the unknown, this, this, my sleepless nights were terrible. Um, and of course you wake up, you feel like crap, and then you're not able to do the things that you normally do to, to, to downregulate and to decompress. So I real the, the one thing I'm really thankful about early on with COVID, I, I needed about two, three weeks and we just set up a routine and a shop, if you will, in the house. Like we are not doing this whole loosey goosey business. Like we're, we're going to have a schedule. We're going to operate it maybe differently than we're used to operating, but I'm not going down this. It just reminded me of like a toilet bowl. Like I can't let this happen to my family. We ain't doing it. <laughs> so 
Um, I'm, I feel very fortunate for that. And that really helped let go of the fear and get the sleep back in and yada, yada. But that's, you know, that is still applies, even if, you know, as things have calmed down on the, the COVID front, just the the importance of sleep, you know? So I'm curious for you in your practice, do you discuss sleep with your patients? Do you find that a lot of them have sleep issues? I don't know about a lot, but there, it comes up a good bit. And it is something I, I mean, I find pretty interesting uh, to the point where I've noticed, I think you had a video where you had a pair of these guys. Um, oh, you got your blocks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you get to look cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fun to, like, in virtual appointments, like, let's look at this through another lens. <laughs> yes, I say um, that all the time. Nourishment through oh. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, in fact, uh, one of the things I learned was uh, chronotypes. Uh, I mean, different, um, it's more than just, like, a uh, what are they called? The early bird catches the worm and early riser versus uh, the night owl. It's like, I've, I've consistently found there's four different types. Okay. And, and uh, Huberman, I don't know if you've listened to him at all. I love Huberman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where, where people, if they can disconnect from technology, even for a few days, they might find out that they're not really a night owl. Um, Sting. Yeah, but I definitely fit more the uh, the lion is actually the chronotype. If you look up different chronotypes, there's, I think, lion, a bear, a dolphin, where it's kind of like kind of up and down throughout the day as far as energy levels, and then the night wolf. Um, me, first thing in the morning, like, I like to just get at it. And so if we did this in the afternoon... That might be kind of like more of my uh, might have to pull a little more to to get me talking about something. Right. Interesting. I have not heard of the term chronotype, so I'm going to look that up and I'm going to be sure to put some links in the show note because this sounds fascinating to me. But particularly your point about how you might think you're a night owl, but are you really? Because I always used to to think that, particularly in college, you know, I kept a completely different schedule. <laughs> Back when I could sleep in, that was glory days. Yeah. But I have noticed that for me, the blue light detox at night, the just decision, I am not gonna be on the computer after dinner, Unless it's like family movie night, I'm not watching TV. I don't watch TV anyway, but uh, I don't I don't have the time or the desire. Unless it's a nutrition documentary, and then somehow that just makes my boys scatter. All of a sudden, they're tired for bed. It's weird. I can get them to go to bed. Just click one of those on. But that is such a huge help to power down um, and to get that not only the blue light but all the stimulus because when you're what are you looking at you're either looking at someone else's best life or you're looking at all the hell in the world you know and none of that is for a good night's sleep so oh yeah what is your um do you see uh, and do you believe that there is a thing you know screen addiction or you know sort of FOMO fear of missing out do you see that in your practice oh I, I'd say I mean I've I might have to fight that back myself sometimes. It's like, oh, it's convenient. I've got a couple minutes. And then I 
something I like to remind myself, and I'll tell folks too, sometimes if I see them have a challenge with this is rather than how much time do I have? Well, I only have a couple of minutes, so might as well play around on my phone. Um, being aware of time and what do you want to do with the time you have? Focus on what do you want to do with the time you have? Hey, if you got a few minutes, maybe you can make progress with this thing you want to book your reading. You know, maybe you can't read a chapter, but you can get a few pages in. Um, finding things that are more in alignment with your values rather than going to the screen. It's just so simple. It's so convenient, ubiquitous. Um, I've got a couple of books in my queue that I want to read, including Glow Kids. And uh, there's another one, too, that Digital Distress. Um, but yeah, the, the, get locked into a screen uh recover recovering video game addict i don't know i've got you were a recovering video you used to play video oh used to yeah yeah in college that kind of thing late night video gaming (laughs) beer (laughs) by i'd say like junior year in college i kind of distanced myself from it for the most part but yeah i told my wife before we got married um, I said, if, if you want to be married, we can get a video game system. But if you want a marriage relationship, <laughs> then it'd be best not to have a video game system in the house. Oh, good. Um, well, y'all so, are too busy for that anyway. You got goats. And- <laughs> yeah. But yeah, screen addiction. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see it in my practice. I've experienced it myself with even before mobile devices and so forth. Uh, and I mean, that's one thing, this one book I'll recommend to folks for relationship stuff is uh, called Bedside Manners, published in uh, 1983. I oh, say the one, one thing that uh, that I would say when you're reading it, you might just kind of translate differently in your mind is if she says television, you could say technology or screens. Right. Um, but everything else is very practical and basically spot on um medical doctor teresa teresa crenshaw uh she's got i mean 1980s big beautiful blonde hair right. uh on the cover um so yeah there's a uh, screen addiction big deal and uh how that affects uh sleep right mm-hmm. um i don't know some people say pineal gland. I say pineal, mm-hmm. um, which melatonin, something like if I find out someone's on melatonin, I'm like, uh, you know, if your doctor's not, pres- if this isn't something being prescribed by your psychiatrist or your physician, then um, you might want to look at staying away from that. Exactly. Um, you're, you're, pineal gland will produce that especially if you're um getting away from the screen you know at least an hour and a half before sleep so practice in our house we uh we do a little tv time as it were with our girls i've two three years ago got them uh pairs of kids sized blue light blocking glasses Fletcher has one (laughs) and then we shift to uh story time after that to further wind down and that's that's sort of the routine. So 
but yeah, that and I'll I'll let folks know about like if they're familiar. Are they you familiar with blue light? Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because that'll that'll cause you to not release melatonin. Bluntly put, exactly. Yeah. And so what you're saying is I shouldn't just go buy melatonin gummies. Just take care of it. Just pop a pill or a chew. <laughs> Wouldn't be the path I would I would go. Um, someone wants to do that. Hey, by all means, uh, I, I'll give them some information along those lines. Uh, can refer them right to uh, where Doctor Andrew Huberman talks about a uh, talks about it in a podcast about melatonin and some of the things he saw in his research with the. Uh, the melatonin pathways it was like whoa can uh how it can affect puberty how it affects other hormones it's a hormone yep like can you take testosterone over the counter estrogen over the counter now you can get melatonin though right it, it is interesting and it, it it is this broader part of this thing that has become i would say in the last probably year or two one of my big pet peeves are these what i call adult chew toys and that's all the gummies on the market <laughs> it's like especially for people trying to be on a low carbohydrate regimen to either lose weight or, or, or correct blood sugar issues. But you know, you're, well, it's only got two carbs. Okay. But how many of those gummies are you take? Ooh, yeah. Well, I swallow like swallow. Huh, that was funny. A little Freudian slip there. I chew my chew toys times six, you know, okay. That's 12 grams of carbohydrates. And like, what's in that thing that's actually nourishing you? You know, to your point, the root cause yeah. is you're preventing the body from naturally producing this stuff. And so it's so interesting to me that in our culture, we just want that Band-Aid or that chew toy, that pill to pop to, to fix it that way. But let's get to the root cause. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you told me when we talked before about your your own sugar story and your own health journey. I would love to hear we have this very zen and humorous counselor, but uh, perhaps that wasn't always the thing. What's your background? Oh, man. Um, I love my parents. I love my parents. They're wonderful. They're both still alive. In our home growing up, soda was it it flowed freely um i i don't remember there being really much restrictions with it um snacks so forth but in fact let's go to more recent stuff on the tail end of gummies so that little uh see the white thing there that's an air purifier and nope. underneath of it a couple of drawers I had in that top drawer when I first moved in this office about four years ago, I would keep things like, uh, I think it was, I'll go ahead and call out Mott's fruit snacks, little little packs of Mott's fruit snacks, and uh, kept those in there, had M&Ms in there, um, these uh, little packs of, you know, single serving things of trail mix that had these M&Ms that were even worse than M&Ms, if that's possible, because they had hydrogenated oils. Um, and kept that stuff in there freely. I would snack on it occasionally. And one day after lunch, I was like, all right, snacking mindlessly on some Mott's fruit snacks. Day went along. 
And then later that day, I'm sitting there with a, in the midst of a therapy appointment, I'm sitting there in, in the chair and I'm like, I feel like I'm, I'm like going to jump out of my skin. I think I'm having a panic attack. Am I stressed about something that I wasn't thinking? Like maybe I just kind of shoved it aside. What's going on? You know, after the session ended, I was like, what was that about? Trying to figure out like why from a, you know, what's going on in my life sort of standpoint. And then fast forward a week or two, it happens again, but less intense. And I was like, interesting. I had some of those Mott's gummies, gum, you know, Mott's fruit snacks, but I didn't have as many little packs of them. Hmm. I bet it was those. <laughs> I'm looking at all these like social factors and things that might be stressing me out that I just wasn't noticing or paying attention to. It was those. Um, wow. Got rid of those, just put them in the trash and never had another one of those incidences, oddly enough. So then uh, fast forward a little further, there was this training available to become a, was it a, I have to look at the title because make sure I get the wording right. Nutritional mental health counselor, a certified nutritional mental health counselor. And the the stuff the guy was saying about sugar, he spent like, I'd say two sessions out of about 20 sessions just on sugar and how awful it was. I'm like, I know this stuff. I've heard this stuff. Why did I let this stuff creep back in? Started to reread this guy, Sugar Blues from the mid seventies. I was like, why, oh, why did I let this stuff creep back in? A good friend of mine, a mentor, brother, like a like a father figure to me. He he recommended this book to me. Must have been 15 years, 16, 17 years ago that I read it. And somehow sugar just made its way right back in. No, it's um, ubiquitous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I've got a history of of just eating willy-nilly as far as not paying attention to sugar, processed carbs, all that. And I think it was Wheat Belly, that friend slash brother slash father figure mentor. Um, he had he had suggested this book, Wheat Belly. I actually thought it might be helpful for my parents. And uh, like, well, let me read it first. Re started reading that. I'm like, cut out wheat. But it took another five, six years before I said you know, I think I'm going to get divorced from sugar too. Hmm. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, a, I would say sort of like a divorce because like with weed, it would creep back in. We would have a little fling and I'd be like, damn bitch. Now I remember why I got rid of you the first time. Uh, I know about flings with wheat and I'm allergic yeah. to wheat. <laughs> yeah. So once you I'm start the fling up, it's very easy to just go back in for a little more, a little more, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was kind of more the grains first that I weeded out. And then later on, it was, I think it was uh same summer we got to go. It's 2021 that I reread 
Sugar Blues was doing the training for the nutritional mental health consulting. And I was like, damn, damn boy, what, what are you doing with that stuff? Right. That stuff's that's dangerous. That's that's more dangerous than heroin. Not and diminishing heroin, but the the sense that it's just it's so readily available and you know, oh my goodness, so addictive. So and, what uh, you're saying is, Michael, might there be a link between your nutrition and your mental health? Maybe. Uh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh man, since I caught, I noticed some differences more quickly with cutting out wheat, but cutting out sugar, it was more subtle. Okay. But over time, it was like all this mental effort to do something that might not have been that pleasant, like like climbing this hill just to start the task. It became like, oh, okay, I'm going to work on that. Interesting. Like, These the, the subtle things that I started to notice and pay attention to. Focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ability to sit down and read a book. Uh so yeah. Oh my. So that, that was huge. Sugar blues. And he talks about it. I mean, that's like the opening thing is he defines sugar. He defines blues and then he defines sugar blues, sugar, refined sucrose C12 H22 O11 produced by multiple chemical processing of the juice of the sugar cane or beet and removal of all fiber and protein, which amount to 90% of the natural plant blues a state of depression or melancholy overlaid with fear, physical discomfort, and anxiety, often expressed lyrically as an autobiographical chronicle of personal disaster. Sugar blues, multiple physical and mental miseries caused by human consumption of refined sucrose, commonly called sugar. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah, the link. Yeah, he, he noticed it. I mean back in the mid seventies or I mean, earlier he wrote, he, he was a sugar addict um, that took him a while to realize and wise up to how it was affecting him. And um, he dealt with a number of chronic health issues that they couldn't figure out like what was going on. And it's so funny, like the metabolic disorders that all these chronic disorders that come up for folks nowadays. And it's like, huh? your metabolic mission, right? That's and that's right. what stood out to me about you too, was the, you didn't say sugar for the first thing to weed out. And I was like, uh -huh. which made that kind of stand out even more to me. The, uh, I like to call them bastard oils. <laughs> we got lots of names for this. <laughs> the hateful I mean, I don't want to pick one, right? Yeah, that's Dr. Yeah. Shanahan's The Hateful Eight. But if I have to pick one, I do. And thank you for bringing that up because- I would say in 90% of the nourishment mindset episodes, I shit on the hateful eight, but I do occasionally forget. And then I, it burns me up because I lost an opportunity there. So y'all, it is true. Well, I could bump <laughs> set and Dixie in with a spike. Thank you. I appreciate right. that, Michael, but we have to shit on seed oils in every episode. So bravo to you. And I'm not saying that sugar is fine. I'm just saying that no. seed oils are so toxically inflammatory that, and they are also ubiquitous. The worst, of course, soybean oil, but 
for human health, this it's a disaster. Um, and what's really interesting about that sugar book when you're reading the definition is here I'm thinking, well, here we are, how many years later, maybe 50, you said it's from the 70s. Sugar has over 200 names, you know, and he, I'm, I don't remember when high fructose corn syrup was invented, but it's, you know, it's everywhere. And it has all of these names that some of them sound, you know, beet, organic beet juice or something. And it's like, oh, beets are healthy. And it's like, no, it's sugar. <laughs> it's just hiding in plain sight. So I'm curious, do people come to you? to work on nutrition? Do you suggest it in certain cases or when they bring it up, how do you use this certification that you got? Um, I find that folks generally are very resistant. Uh, I mean, just flat out resistant to like, and I, I think I I probably at one point spoke in this manner of like my fill in the blank with food, my fill in the blank with beverage of choice, my this instead of, oh, yeah, I, I enjoy soda or I enjoy bread on occasion or I enjoy pasta, my pasta, my pizza, my bread, my mm. Pepsi, um, where there's such an attachment to it. I've I've honestly found just in my personal practice, I find folks are more willing to talk about things going on in terms of their sex life and maybe some opportunities there rather than what they're eating and drinking. Okay. Those are um, really attached. Some strongholds. Yeah. Oh yeah. It it kind of boggled me. Like I was like, all right, maybe folks see I've got this certification in this, and I'm advertising like, hey, this is part of what I can offer. Not a lot of folks want to delve into that. I mean, occasionally uh, there'll be some curiosity, but it's like, hey, I weight maybe not so much of an issue for me but metabolism like i look back and i think geez i was metal metabolically broken as a teenager oh sure and now it's worse but and uh so it's like if you don't know you you don't know and that is part of the help you, yeah can help you learn try to bring up a I'm, I've ordered Dr. Georgia Ede's book. I Me guess that's too. coming out later this month. Soon. And uh, appreciate you putting that on my radar. Um, Chris Palmer's book, Brain Energy. I keep that handy. And there's just this, I'll just maybe share like a little excerpt from it with folks about like how he stumbled across how diet can affect mental health. And uh, just, to, just to see if I can maybe introduce it that way. Like, let's talk about how this guy, you know, he's an associate professor of psychiatry at this little school up in the Northeast United States. Harvard, have you heard of Harvard? At Harvard Medical School, associate professor of psychiatry, basically a no one. But, you know, aside from all that, here's what he stumbled across. And what he lays out is mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. Bingo. So, yeah. So, yeah, personal history with sugar and my uh, deviating from 
good healthy eating as it were to reintroducing sugar how it crept in i don't know slowly and surely um but yeah talking about folks about it sometimes not so easy yep it's true i <laughs> i see that too i mean as a health coach though that's you know they're not coming to me for mental health counseling sometimes i feel like oftentimes i feel like they need a you in their life uh as well because that is so outside of my scope but um it does as you said my this my that some of this is is tradition some of it's culture some of it's just habit so one of the yeah. things i've been using more recently is the idea of an experiment not give up sugar give up wheat give up seed oils would you be open to doing an experiment where you know you pick the thing and for just 5 to 7 days just see how you feel see if you notice anything different just kind of allow them to to drive the bus so to speak for some people that's even too much so another experiment that i've been using is okay you know this is a woman who found herself snacking 8 to 10 times a day like never eating a meal and she's gaining weight her glucose controls getting worse and i said how about a little experiment we discussed a few options but what she came to is i'm going to wait till i'm hungry physical cues of hunger because a lot of people don't know what those are either um and eat a nourishing meal at that point and we talked about what a nourishing meal is and see how the rest of the day goes because if you're always sort of snacking, you know, dabbling, you're not dabbling in hard-boiled eggs. You're you're dabbling in sugar and and ultra-processed foods. Let's just see if this can put you on a different track. So I'm curious, do you ever have your patients do little experiments of any kind? Maybe it's with turning the tube off an hour before bed. Yeah, I I don't know if I put it in the terms of experiments. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, I usually try to present as like, you know, making a little shift here, here. I Like for me, it was, I cut out wheat and then other grains. And then years later, it was sugar. And then, then it was the seed oils. Um, so it wasn't all this just boom all at once. I mean, this is over the course of years. So making a little shift, I usually think in terms of that, like a little shift here, a little shift there over time the effect that can be produced. Um, so, and I think one of the opportunities too is the, uh, you probably hear this like, oh, so I can't have this anymore. No, you you can have whatever you want. Forever, just, you're in prison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can, you can have what you want. It, it just, it might not benefit you. Um, you know, it was a, uh, I like how this uh, this doctor I saw back in 2010. He's he's got a practice actually. He's in uh, Fort Myers now, oh. Florida. He was in Chicago at the time. Uh, Doctor Hauser, not Doogie. <laughs> uh, Doctor Ross Hauser and his his wife uh, Marion. She's a registered dietitian. They did for a little while. They did this thing called the Hauser diet. Okay. And I liked it because it wasn't you know one size fit all. They likened it to an animal. You were, uh, you were a, a giraffe, or maybe you fit more with the monkey, or the bear, or the otter, or the lion. And or Nigerian dwarf goat? No. 
There was no Nigerian dwarf goat in there. Darn, but darn. my bad. I, I think that would be closer to the giraffe end of the spectrum, as it were. Lots of fruits, fresh fruit and veggies. Again, they, they were good about like telling you avoid the processed stuff. Um, and then right in the middle was the bear. Incidentally, I was a lion. So I I learned back then, and it's taken me like this long to implement and step by step figure this out and do a little bit better and make adjustments. But high fat, protein, minimal carbs, but ideally in the form of fresh veggies. Uh, so it took me, here we are 14 years later, and I'm still making little fine tuning at this point, I'd say, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I use my own example with clients a lot too. Like, Hey, this is, this is not an overnight thing. Like try this out, try this out. I like the experiment thing. I'm going to use that. Good. I appreciate that Dixie. That's good. Yeah, how about try this little experiment? See how, don't have to how commit. Yeah. <laughs> so Which I, I, and some folks, you know, they'll, they'll, they will experiment though. And the feedback is usually it's really good. It's just, it, the maintenance of that then it becomes an opportunity. Right. The, hopefully the experiment will turn into a habit, but that takes time. Yeah. So, so I, I do have to, it's, it's not lost on me. I ask you about being surrounded by the, all the females and then you, you, you're identifying here as a nutrition lion. So now it all makes sense because don't lions like <laughs> it's the sole male with the pride. I get it. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, my chronotype too. Exactly. Lion. Yeah. I, I fit with the lion chronotype. I, I, I guess you're a lion. That's great. Um, so I am curious about ADD, ADHD. I'm probably not calling it the right thing. Back when I was a kid, it was ADD. Then it became ADHD. But the whole point is, or maybe they're different diagnoses. What is your opinion on the rates of that diagnosis and the rates of ultra-processed food consumption? I'm not trying to suggest causation unless there's been a research study done on that, but it sure as hell seems pretty highly correlated to me. Oh, yeah. There's a, a really good TED Talk on food dyes in particular, not processed mm -hmm. foods so in general, but food dies because the lady had, I think she says she's, I've got three degrees in psychology. So I'm guessing bachelor's, master's, and a doctorate in psychology is my suspicion. Um, but I think it was like her seven-year-old son comes up to her one day and says, you know, I just don't want to live or, uh, you know, I want to die or something. I don't remember the exact wording she talks about it in the TED talk though, but she said all of her experience training, et cetera, did not prepare her for that. And when they got to the bottom of it, it was actually, he was really sensitive to food dyes. And there, there was a point where a teacher wanted to want to, you know, maybe you should get him on ADHD medication. And, but it wasn't every day that he was like that. So they figured out food dyes as being, a major component for that individual. But yeah, I think I think the processed food, the food dyes, the sugar, um, how that affects the brain. Going back to uh, screen addiction, how that affects the brain. Gabor Mate, um, there's a, 
there's a particular clip uh, came across with him talking to Joe Rogan about ADHD. And that is the, the diagnosis. There's no ADD or ADHD. It's all attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Thank you. You, And for adults, generally, that hyperactivity, it, there's one diagnosis change that they made where that makes sense because there is the hyperactivity. It's just rather than bouncing off the walls, it's with the brain. And for adults, it's generally the hyperactivity is going to be with the thought process. Um, so Gabor Monte, he he looks at it more from a social standpoint of like how things were with uh, childhood and so forth. And he he really believes for himself that that was the, more the major contributor for him, his brain developing in the way that it did mm. uh, to the point of having what's labeled as ADHD. So yeah, all of those various factors, uh, apparently it's a lower level of dopamine in the forebrain. So um, eating is a great way to get a quick dop dopamine hit. Uh, something that's crunchy, you get that crunch and it's like dopamine, 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 dopamine. You know, um, screens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, screens, you know, or sugar, um, you know. So having that that mental stimulation, as it were, I I mean, I've even wondered about like sort of uh, more of a cultural factor of like, you know, if, if this same individual or kid with ADHD, if they could be learning hands-on, like on a farm, and they right. had this to do, and then they had that to do, and then they had this to do, these various chores on the farm, you know, the family farm to do, then would we see that same disorder or would it actually be order in this situation? So yeah, not so chicken and eggish there. Right. In my opinion, I would say chicken, but you know, that if it was chicken and egg, it'd be really clear cut from my standpoint. I'd say the chicken. All right. Um, this is not so chicken and eggish. Is it food? Is it culture? Is it this? Is it, you know, probably all of it, right? Isn't that what all of psychology comes down to? That's what I remember. I only have an undergrad degree, but like nature versus nurture, <laughs> which one? Yeah. Both. We don't know. It's what my, that was my key takeaway from Duke. We don't know. It's both. <laughs> well, uh, Benjamin Bickman, I like his take on it is like, yeah, the art, there are these nature components, but let's focus on the nurture components because that we can do something about that. Well, there you go. Or so what? Yeah. <laughs> Let's focus. Or, or there used to be, or there still is these biopsychosocial evaluations. Okay. Um, for for mental health. But underlying all that is metabolism, right? The the sense of connection with others, the sleep, what you're consuming, all the. I mean, there's a common factor there is metabolism. You can call it biopsychosocial evaluation and look at all these different things. Ultimately, those all relate back to metabolism. I love it. That one root. And I have not yeah. <laughs> heard that word in a long time, biopsychosocial. So you might get a kick out of this one. My senior thesis was a biopsychosocial model for treating childhood obesity. 
it was circa 2000. And I found that sucker when we were moving from Portland in 2018 and packing up. And I just started crying because nearly 20 years later, the rates, you know, at the time I was alarmed at the rates of childhood obesity. It was just like, oh, it's just gotten so much worse. Um, and I kept that sucker. I still have that. Um, it's useless. But uh, thank you for bringing that. There's still hope. Wow. There's still hope. I didn't consciously say that the biopsychosocial thing, but I, I think now that you say that, I do remember hearing you describe that in another episode, how that was your, your thesis. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I think Dr. Palmer in his book, book brain energy brings up, you know, these various ways that we've tried to look at what's going on with the brain and treating it and so forth. And, you know, that's what he brought it back to his metabolism. Um, so I used to joke around and be like, yeah, how useful public education, you know, you come out and you, you can say, well, what's the powerhouse of the cell? Well, it's mitochondria and how useless that is. But it's like, oh, wait a second. Maybe there's something about that. Maybe. Yeah. Mitochondria metabolism. Oh yeah. Something there. All right. We're on to something. Yeah. So. One of the things I noticed about you when we first talked is your use of humor and sarcasm. And we talked about, I said, gosh, I've never worked with a mental health professional who really, you know, I worked with a woman in the Portland area eons ago who used sort of a really interesting wide modality of things like build your world and paint this and, and draw this. And at the time I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But it actually was really helpful to me. I still have the goofy painting that I made. It hangs not in the home. It hangs in the RV. It's more of RV art. <laughs> but what it said, uh, it was this root thing coming up. It just came out of nowhere for me. And it said, it says savor. And I find that really mm. interesting because at the time, you know, this my kid was not even one and I had pretty severe postpartum issues from help syndrome and all this other very difficult stuff. But um, at the time, that word was never a word that I had used. It didn't. I mean, maybe in the wine mm. industry, savoring a wine, but this was more like savor your life. Um, and I, I sometimes look at that when we're camping and I'm like, yeah, that, I feel like that was the root change of like the trajectory of my life. Um, so that's why I insist. It's like, do you think we could take that down now, hon? And I'm like, don't mess with the root cause of how I changed my life for the better. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, it, your modalities seems like humor is one, but talk to us about how you work you know, when you, you have an individual, I, I'm going to guess that it's not just one approach. Like, how do you decide what will work? And it's, you have such a fascinating job. Um, well, I, I, I would say more like principle based rather than I follow this formula or model per se. Um, if someone comes in looking for something in particular, then that's different. Uh, then I'll I'll kind of like okay I'll gear up for that, uh, but I I try to describe to folks when they first come in, you know I'm getting oriented to you as much as you are to me, and you know or give me like a few sessions to kind of figure out, get into a rhythm as far as you go, um, and 
I like to be collaborative too. Um, but yeah, first session though, as far as the humor goes, I don't know if this is funny or not, but I, I like to talk about like assess, assess, uh, so how do you feel about cussing? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, let's just get this out of the way. Cause I was about to say something and I pulled the e-brake and like, let me, uh, all right. I like I like to be human with them because I'm a human being. We're human beings, not human doings. So I I like to I just try to be myself. Don't really try, I guess, do I? I, I just I endeavor to be myself. Right. Um and bring to the forefront whatever might be beneficial to the individual I'm meeting with. Um based on what I'm getting from them and what they're looking to address or, you know, Hey, this is going well. How can I improve it? Positive psychology. I've heard you talk about the flow guy. I always say his name is Mihai Csikszent Mihai. <laughs> yes. um, I just don't look at the, I don't look at the oh, spelling. Don't I no. don't look at the spelling. It will throw me off. I've heard it pronounced. I think it might've even been the guy he worked pretty closely with. Mihai Csikszent Mihai is how he said it. Oh, well, even better. Um, but yeah, that getting into that flow state, as it were, with the client and figuring out like, all right, what's a good flow with this individual? Um, so yeah, I don't have a particular model, as it were. Um, I I use whatever I can to my advantage. So there's stuff that's like emotionally focused therapy. There's with couples there's that there's Gottman's approach. Um, I apply some of this stuff from Gottman to folks relationship with themselves. Uh, so, which is something I don't think I've seen with his, his work at all of all the stuff I've, I've, I've looked at a number of his things and I haven't seen where he applies that, like applies relationship stuff, workplace, parenting, this sort of thing, but not with self. Uh, not that I've seen, maybe he's got some, someone will correct me in. That's cool. Uh, point me in that direction, someone. Um, so yeah, humor, um, a bit of, uh, like making it comfortable. That's I'm, exactly. You know, I'll, I'll literally, uh, you won't be able to hear me if I get away from the mic, but I'll literally, you know, I'm up here and you're down there. Like <laughs> sit up on the back of the couch or whatever. Uh just to just to like like let let's get comfortable. All right. Let's because yeah. we're gonna be talking about uncomfortable things. I try to make the room comfortable. I've got this uh really thick rug on the floor. I say, yeah, I got it at uh, therapyrugs.com. <laughs> and uh like now I got it at Sam's Club. Um but I try to make it comfortable and kind of homey in here because we're going to be talking about some uncomfortable things. So, and after you talk about those uncomfortable things, you'll find out you feel a bit more comfortable. Exactly. Yes. Let them out. And that I love just the, the, how do you feel about cussing thing is so great because I, you know, for all of us, I think, you know, you walk in, there's, you're dealing with a professional and you're obviously, as you said, coming to talk about things that are uncomfortable. You're going to be emotional. It's, 
it's this whole, you know, thing. I think a lot of people would prefer to stand nude on stage. You know, it's uh, at least you could run away. But here you just you're your vulnerable self. And there has I think I've always had this like thin veil with anyone that I've worked with where it's like, I don't know if the word's decorum or whatever, but if someone had said to me, hey, yo, how do you feel about cussing? You know, be like, well, I personally like cussing, you know, but what if I said, no, that's like highly offensive to me, then you would know, you you wouldn't use yeah. that to sort of help people. So I just, I love that. It immediately sets the tone of like, you're in a different space, like it's okay here. And then I do love that background because I was thinking the antithesis of that is like this, ultra modern black and white sharp you know squares everywhere and uh, it would be hard you know and i'm a huge believer in the power and importance of your space and how you feel in fact i think i go off on that a bit in the book i should know this um i will i will you know raise my hand and say i don't remember my entire book um but just to me a, a cluttered home is the, is a sign of like a cluttered life and brain um now the flip side of that some might say well you're ocd about cleaning well okay so i have my biases but for me my workspace has to be clean with some nice plants in it and some soft light. That's me being my best self. So I appreciate your attention to the to the the space there. Yeah, and vulnerability is something too, uh, especially during a first deployment. I I endeavor to acknowledge is like you know this this takes some guts to come in here and meet me for the first time. Like that's awesome, um, which also helps me that ends up kind of becoming an assessment of itself. How are they at receiving a compliment? Ooh. So you, you mental health people are always watching, always judging. That's what I'm taking away. I'm kidding. Judges. <laughs> I, I endeavor for it to be what? like, like let, let's do it with the judgment, but I'll notice things and I'll, yeah. I'll pay attention to it. And I might, you know, want to lean in a little further on like, what's happening there. you, you tell me you're uncomfortable about talking about something. I'm going to be like, well, let's talk about that some more then. Right. <laughs> let's go there. I do love what you said too about this idea of the relationship with the self. That is something that's going to be a huge takeaway for me in working with clients is, is that. That's been maybe subconscious for me, but I do see so many people like the self-criticism is off the charts and mm. it, it could be a simple something from this week. Someone I'm speaking with a, a client who's really struggling. And she said, I said, well, give me an example of, you know, things set me off. And then that just ruins the day. Okay. Well, tell me what set you off. For example, you know, I hopped on the scale yesterday. I had gained weight um, and then I just said, well, what I'm doing is not working. So F it. Um, I'll just eat what I want. And then I didn't go to the gym because I felt like crap. And it's like, so this hopping on the scale just wrecked the entire day. And all day long, she told me it was just this, you're no good. Once again, you're a failure. And it's like, oh, that's such a noisy room, you know, mm. <laughs> relationship yeah. with the self. Like, yeah, it was a. Uh... In 2013, an um, individual that I've, I've learned a tremendous amount from, he uh, he had mentioned to me, in fact, uh, he had gone through a 
pretty serious surgery, basically reconnecting, if I remember correctly, his esophagus to his stomach. Mm. And um, I noticed he, he was able to like, he was putting food on his plate. And I was like, so you're able to eat again. And he uh, described some various circumstances, but basically how he had learned, he had learned from this other individual, a uh, fellow from the East, uh, from India, uh, who he was a high caste Hindu, converted to Christianity. And this guy I was talking to in 2013, he said he learned from him to make friends with his mind. Mm. And boy, that that stuck with me. Make friends with your mind. Um, wow. And, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian. I've read the Bible a handful of times, particular pat scriptures, particular passages a number of times. I want to say it was about five years ago. I was reading in the gospels where someone asked Jesus Christ, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he said, well, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord, thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he went on and said, the second one is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. I'd heard that a number of times. I've read it a number of times. But boy, oh boy, I I closed up the book. I was like, does it really say those last two words there? As thyself. Well, shit, what are you going to do with that? And... So that's that's really helped as far as like the why for wanting to do what I do mm. with with my nourishing self, nourishing self, not just in terms of food and drink, nourishing self with regards to what am I subjecting my mind to? Um, am I am I looking on Facebook mindlessly or would I rather grab a book and just read a couple of pages? I think I'd rather grab a book and read a couple of pages. You know, would I rather mindlessly listen to, I don't know, whatever music or maybe make a phone call or listen to a podcast and listen to something educational, informational, instructional. Uh, so that nourish, and again, like this, this is, it was so easy to leave you a positive review. I loved how you, you framed things, this nourishment mindset, like, how you nourish yourself, not just in terms of food and drink, but in all the ways. Yeah. Mind, body, soul, spirit. Yeah. That's Make friends with your mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Like, ooh, well, I think that at least implies that one would be rightfully expected to love themselves, if not kind of incorporated in that command, love yourself. Um, so yeah, that was uh it's kind of like a slap in the face there. Um, but again, it was like five years before that, even that I the fella said ma about making friends with your mind. And incidentally, uh I've read a number of things, Brene Brown stuff, where she talks about the capacity to love someone else is limited by how much you love yourself. Yeah. She didn't word it quite like that. That's my version of it. So yeah, the, these folks that kind of have these conflict with themselves, right? And it's like, well, and I've and I've done this for years with clients. I'll get out the marker board. Ooh. Give me some list. Give give me some traits of what makes a good friend. Some characteristics of a good friend. 
Okay. Do, 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 do. All right. Try to tease out some more. Can you be this way with yourself? No. If you're down, would a friend kick you while you're down? Or would they at least pick you back up and then fuss at you? Because <laughs> I know me, I've had the history of like, oh, you fell down stupid? Well, let me kick you in the ribs a couple of times too before you get back up. And that's kind of how I treat my, I've treated myself in the past. And I gather from other folks, I'm not the only one that's had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, dealing with self-judgment and so forth. And that that plays right into how how they are with food. I mean, are you... Nicely, because that's what I'm dealing with. But it's, as you know, way more than food, you know, because yeah. the, the example I gave, like she just decided to keep kicking herself because of this stupid scale, the stupid yeah. number. <laughs> I hate the scale. Sometimes Let's try this experiment where you, you don't look at the scale for a week and then <laughs> see how you do. And then that's maybe, maybe you can work towards a month. <laughs> that's what we did. Like if that thing has so much power over you, woo, let's let that one go. Um, yeah. We have come full circle. <clears throat> I would love, as you know, well, it, I was going to say, where can people find you? Cause I always end, but I'm not sure you want to be found. <laughs> um, Free goat. I, uh, you, if you want to donate your Christmas tree and you're in Eastern North Carolina, he's got some goats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do virtual appointments still with folks, um, either convenience or you know geographical considerations too. I mean, like if they're across the state or whatever. Um, and uh, but I, I think uh, I include in the email that I sent you. There's on. There's a little profile link, but really, if they want to, if they're interested in scheduling or even talking with me, the therapyportal.com slash P for provider slash a counselor. Um, they can, they can see my calendar if I've got openings, if they want to talk with me, but I'd be, I, I mean, I would do a free consult with someone if, uh, you know, they just contact me. Uh, and it has, I think, both phone number on there as well as email address. So uh, a quick text, a uh, phone call. If someone leaves a voicemail, I will call back. I mean, that's, that's just like a personal integrity sort of thing. Um, I agree. Though I, I did tell this guy I was going to give a plug for him when I, when I was talking with you. Because I've heard you talk about getting fresh meat um, there yeah. in Florida. And literally before I came into my office, I, I left a little bit early from home so I could swing by and pick up some meat from a, a local uh, oak cattle farms in Ooh. Aiden, North Carolina. And I uh, picked, picked up some, some beef from him. And uh, he said he's looking to get pork and chicken too. But he started shipping and he, he said, yeah, I got a shipment right here that's uh, going to go to Charlotte. So you're near your old something grounds. That's right. Um, I have plenty of North Carolinian and Charlottean listeners. So y'all write it down right now. Get your pen. Oak Cattle Farms, supporting yeah. your local farmer. That is a yeah. huge part of the nourishment mindset is buying yeah. locally, supporting local. These are the people who really care about what goes in 
And then that translates to nourishment mindset listeners caring about what goes in. So to close it up, to wrap it up, Michael, what is your favorite table side tradition? Uh, we, we like to sit down at the table for dinner, all of us, ring the bell. Sometimes if the girls are handy, we let them ring the bell. That's awesome. Sometimes it's like, all right, we'll take turns ringing the bell if you both want to ring it. Um, and sit down together and pray, thank God for for the food and thank him for what Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. Uh, you know, when, whenever you eat or drink, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat, as often as you drink. So pause and do that and then endeavor to pass things around in a, in a, a decent sort of manner. And uh, even with the little ones, kind of get them used to some table etiquette so that the meal can be enjoyed and the company can be enjoyed and it's not chaos. So. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Wish that all families yeah. can do this together. Definitely brings us closer to to our, our families, ourselves, and our, our higher powers, whomever that may be. So thank you so much. It's just been a pleasure to 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 learn. There's it's gonna be fun writing these show notes. I was taking notes furiously every time you brought up a book or a concept. And I think for me the the relationship with self and the um that whole concept is just so important so thank you for for all of your insight michael and what you and for oh. what you do yeah i'm i'm grateful for what you do dixie and i i love the the i've got this mental imagery of your rv with the artwork savor um <laughs> which is something i brought up i think just yesterday savoring honing in on paying attention to noticing is that sometimes we just blow right past something that was wonderful to us and like wait a second you know let me stop and savor that and be thankful and um so that's uh that's something one of those techniques i've pulled from uh i think mindfulness falls under that larger umbrella yes. or positive psychology um so well, well here's wonderful dixie <laughs> here's what I'll do. I'm going to take a picture and y'all can laugh. Everyone can laugh at my artwork. Okay. I'm not saying I'm a freaking artist. I'm going camping next weekend. And so I'll make sure to post the show after the camping trip. And you're going to get to see my goofy, uh, psycho psychotherapy artwork, but I'm telling you it, it was an important piece of art. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, Wish you a great yeah. 2024. Oh, thank you very much, Dixie. I appreciate it.